My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 121 of Legally Clueless. Thank you so much for rocking with this podcast, for being part of the tribe. I really do appreciate you. If this is your first time ever listening to the podcast, audio episodes go out every single Monday. And we also have our video series. In fact, we have just shared the last episode of season one. Our video series can be watched on our YouTube channel. And if you check out the show notes, there's a link to our YouTube channel there. I am so excited about this particular episode because I was so honored to have a conversation with one of Nigeria's top fashion designers. Her name is Hawa. Listen to this. I will say I discovered my love for fashion and design when I was 14, 15 years. When you're starting a business, usually you get funding from family, friends and fools as they say. <laughs> I showed her the little corner I had in my house around the dining area. I had just one single sewing machine and I showed her the sample of the dress I made and she was like, come on. I never realized I was not a good marketer. So all I feel was, okay, I can make the designs and people would buy. So by the time I got back, people would look at it and wow, these are beautiful. How much? So by the time I quote the price, <laughs> it's a different ball game. The business had to shut down for the duration of the lockdown in my country. After I told you, I, I started the production in 2013. So by 2014, I was not making sales. I stay in northern Nigeria. Kaduna to be precise, which is like two hours drive from Abuja. And people were like, you're going to spend this lots of money to travel to Lagos to go and do a fashion show. That is Hawa. And my conversation with her is coming up a little later on random convos in this episode. Very excited about it because she brings up so many things that I have experienced on this journey of building a new media business around my podcast. So it was so nice and inspiring to listen to somebody navigate the challenges that you are facing and come out on the other side. So you're really going to enjoy that conversation. But before we get there, I have such great news. I'm bursting with excitement, nerves, all of those things, butterflies in my stomach. <laughs> it's because... We have such a huge announcement. Legally Clueless is going on tour. Yes, we are hitting the road in August. We're going to flag off in Nairobi and then go to Nakuru, Mombasa, and Kisumu. And we're going to be recording your stories in all of those places that we're going to. In case you've never heard of those places, they are places in Kenya. <laughs> I'm just, I'm so excited. I'm just so excited. Obviously, it's like a lot of work trying to put this project together. And I'm so thankful that Africa No Filter came on board to fund this tour. Ah, uh, like I just can't even express it in words because this is something I've always wanted to do with this podcast. I don't even think it has fully sunk in as much as I'm doing all of the preps. I don't think it's fully sunk in that, hey, this thing that you've always wanted to do with your podcast it's happening in a matter of weeks. So this is to you who is in Nairobi, who is in Nakuru, who is in Mombasa, who is in Kisumu. I want to record your stories when we hit 
your respective counties because that's what we are coming there to do to record your stories and it would be so nice to meet you to hear your lived experiences and to have you be part of you know our first proper tour (laughs) look at me discounting the initial one we did in 2019 but that was like a pilot But yeah, I would really love you to be part of that if you're in those four towns in Kenya. All you have to do if you want to share your story as part of the Legally Clueless Tour, there is in the show notes a link to an application form. It's really going to take you all of 10 minutes to fill it out just so that we can shortlist the storytellers before we get to the various towns. So please apply, please share this news, share the link as well to the application form. If maybe you're not in any of those cities, but you know somebody who lives there and you're just like, oh my God, you have to record their story. Share that application form with them so that they can apply. A link to that storyteller application form is in the show notes. And it's also on my Instagram, which is Adelo Nyango on the Instagram for this podcast, which is Legally Clueless Podcast. Just click the links in bio and you will see the link to the application form. I really want to be able to, especially if you have always wanted to share your story and you're in those towns, I would love to have you be part of the tour. This is so exciting for me. This, like, (laughs) it's so wild. Like, we're going to be on the road, like the entire experience of being on tour. And obviously, we're doing this in the middle of a pandemic. But I think right now we have all of the information to be able to not only keep ourselves safe, but those who we're going to interact with. We know exactly how to keep them safe as well. I'm so happy. I'm so happy this is happening. Yeah, how you can help is just share that storyteller application form with people who you know live in those cities stroke counties and would love to share their story on this podcast and if that person is you oh my god please apply i would really want to be able to capture your story as part of the legally clueless 2021 tour so exciting it's just it's wonderful i'll be keeping you updated though just on the moving parts you know what goes into preparing for a tour because it's it's, it's a lot of, I wouldn't say, yes, it is a lot of work, but I think more than that, there are a lot of moving parts. I don't think you'll understand. The excitement is so real. <laughs> okay, I can go on and on forever about our tour, but you now know what to do in case you want to be one of the people that we record once we hit those four different counties. So do it. So on to the song of the week, which, by the way, is a song I've just been replaying ever since it dropped because I feel like it's that energy that you need in the morning just to remind yourself of how dope you are. You need it to be part of your morning routine. And it's so hectic because it's a rap song. I've always really enjoyed like good rap. And it's by an artist who's also a poet. I think I've shared his music before on this podcast. His name is Koji Radical. And so this song is called Two Fs. (laughs) Trust me, it is wonderful. And if maybe you're not used to rap, if there's a way you can listen to it as you read the lyrics, I would suggest that you do that because there's one-liners in there that really speak to just you believing in yourself and I wouldn't want them to pass you by. <laughs> just 
Check out the song Two Fs. It's by Koji Radical. A link to it is in the show notes. Okay, so let's jump into random convos. That's right. I've brought back random convos in this episode. Reason for doing it is first, I am so honored that the Gates Foundation reached out to me to capture my story as a businesswoman in the new media space. You know, just my journey of transitioning from traditional radio into this podcast. Podcasting. And the reason that I say I'm honored is because it's not often that people approach what I do and respect it as a business. Most of you who are doing anything in the creative world will agree with me. People see what we do and they're just like, oh, it's a hobby. It's something small you're doing on the side. And those sentiments can really get to you. You really have to do so much work to keep that hope and respect alive for what you do. So I appreciate that the Gates Foundation met me as a businesswoman in this particular project. You know, I got to tell my story about my business journey. And you may be wondering, why now? Why is this a time for you to be sharing your story with the Gates Foundation? Well, it's two reasons. One is that I'm pretty sure you've seen the just concluded Generation Equality Forum that was happening in Paris. This has been on Spotlight since earlier in the year. And it's coming a quarter of a century after the Beijing conference, which was super huge when you think about women's rights and pushing for certain things when it comes to women being able to live dignified lives. So it's almost like, hmm, have we made any progress since Beijing type of thing? And the second reason why we were having this feature right now is because of the pandemic. The pandemic has really disproportionately affected women. I mean, if you listen to episode 86, I believe, which was smack in the middle of the pandemic last year. And I went on ground just to cover the stories of women who have experienced sexual violence during this COVID period. That was an experience that damn near broke me. I had to reach out to my therapist afterwards because I just couldn't believe that that this was happening, you know? So when we look at safety issues, women are suffering even more around that during this pandemic when we look at livelihoods and businesses. And in fact, if you want to understand this issue a bit more, which I would really suggest to you that you should, I think you need to check out the gatesfoundation.org forward slash ideas page because there's statistics there. And then also you can be able to watch my full feature as well as the feature of two other African business women because I teamed up with them not only to share my story, but also those of other African business women. And so one of the women that I got to talk to is Hawa, who is just so amazing. She is a top Nigerian fashion designer and also runs an initiative that helps more young women in northern Nigeria get into business. I'm excited for you to listen to this random convo because I really think it's going to inspire you. Random convos on Legally Clueless, powered by the Gates Foundation, as part of the Generation Equality Forum, promoting gender equality by turning interest and words into action. 
Hi, Hawa. Hi, Abdul. I'm so excited that we get to have this very important conversation and that we get to hear more about your journey that is very powerful and very impactful. It's nice to um, bring my story to this platform. So we can already tell that you're really into fashion because you look absolutely wonderful. It's only fitting that that's like the business route that you've taken. And I'd just love to know, when did you first discover your love for fashion and design? Well, I'll say I discovered my love for fashion and design at about um, when I was 14, 15 years. Yeah. At about time I was in secondary school and, you know, okay, like in northern Nigeria, we have this culture of, you know, making new clothes during the Eid period after the fasting ends, where we get to know, um, make new clothes, you know, are designed for you so my interest began at that point in time when I began to, you know, combine colors, try to change the styles of the clothes that were made for me. So I began to understand that I really have this flair for, you know, trying new things with clothes and, you know, accessories at that early age in life. When then did you decide that actually I can build a business around this? And how did you start your fashion business? I can call myself an um, accidental fashion businesswoman yes i had the flair for the fashion but i never saw myself you know becoming a fashion designer in the business sense of the word because i remember in the university all i wanted was to you know to graduate and come back to the my department and lecture i studied economics in the university so like i would say my journey into the fashion business was accidental and i began in 2013 i saw myself you know turning this passion i had for you know um, the abaya fabrics and i'll say the abaya outfit which is the middle eastern you know way of dressing for the women so i found myself you know trying to you know recreate something like that but with a touch of african fabrics into it so it was more or less an accidental journey and i started in 2013. so at that point you didn't know it was going to be this empire that you've built i never saw that coming <laughs> so at the beginning you know it's normally always the hardest part when you're starting a business is the beginning because you're thinking about certain things that you would need, be it funding or just different resources. Did you have access to resources when you were beginning your business? Well, I had access to funding, but not from external sources, because as they usually say in the fashion, in, in the business sense, when you're starting a business, usually you get funding from family, friends and fools, as they say. <laughs> so I would say I followed the same pattern because when I started that business in 2013, the funding I had was my personal savings and I read my mom's, you know, savings <laughs> as well. <laughs> yes. So largely it was what I used, you know, to kickstart um, the business at that particular point in time. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Family, friends and fools. Yeah. And then also maybe at the beginning, because I remember I would have different conversations with other business owners just to kind of like pick their mind before I fully dove into it. Did you have any such conversations where you were like talking to people in business or even in the fashion industry, just trying to see, OK, what does it really look like? And what should I prepare for? Yes, um, actually, at that point in time, I was, you know, fully immersed in my work with the um, youth service in my country. So, but at the same time, I had friends that were into business. I had an elder sister that was into business, but she was into interior decor. Then I also had some friends that were into other businesses. So it's just one lady that at that time that I knew that was into fashion. And I saw how great she was doing and she really inspired me because when I went to her showroom to see what she's doing and I showed her the little corner I had in my house, 
around the dining area i had just one single sewing machine and i showed her the sample of the dress i made and she was like come on what are you waiting for this is going to sell why not start why not try something that's really awesome to know that she encouraged you yeah um so if if perhaps there's like a 16 year old or a young woman who's watching and wants to get into the fashion business what advice would you give her I would tell her to just start because like for me, I realized over time that I've wasted so much time. You know, at that point in time, I think um, around the early um, 2000, the idea of, you know, young women going into entrepreneurship was something people don't really take serious. It's more like, okay, you graduate from university, you, you get to, you know, have an office job where you work a nine to five and stuff like that. So it was like kind of odd to see a young woman, you know, going into business, especially um, the fashion business of a thing. It was never seen as something, you know, that will really be um, great, I will use or something like that. So at that point in time, what really um, slowed me was, yes, I was making clothes, but I wasn't into, you know, tilted towards a particular space. I, I just knew how to sew. I was just making clothes and I never saw it becoming a big time business. I was just making my own clothes and clothes for families and friends. I never made a business out of it. So for me, I feel I've wasted so much time because I begin to think, wow, had it been I started when I was 16, had it been I started when I was 17, I would have, you know, gone so far. Start with what you have, start with where you are, and then you grow as you move. That is fantastic advice, and I, I completely identify with that. But business also comes with, like, its fair share of challenges. Yes. And I don't know, were there challenges that you faced when you started your business? Yes, definitely there were challenges because, okay, I think one of the greatest mistakes young people make going into business is these assumptions that we, we go into business with. We see it from afar and we think it's something, you know, something enjoyable, something that is risk-free, something that is, you know, um, not associated with, you know, some difficulties. We just see the fancy side of it. We don't really see the difficult aspect of it. So, you know, we're just overclouded by this sense of, okay, I have a passion for it. Um, you know, I have the resources available at my disposal and I have this great idea. So what I realized that is not just about, you know, the passion is not just about the idea is not just about the resources. No, it takes a lot. So there's so many challenges when you just dive into, you know, entrepreneurship as a whole and particularly with the fashion of a thing. It's a gamble for you to just go in upfront without, you know, having an idea of what you truly want to do, you know, the, um, the niche you want to carve for yourself. So it comes with lots of challenges. And for me, I also faced that because that assumption overclouded my sense of understanding that, okay, I had no prior knowledge. I need to get some facts right. I need to do my research. I need to go educate myself on what it takes to run a business, you understand? And not only a business, but the fashion business of a thing, you know? So I was overclouded by that. I never realized I was not a good marketer. So all I feel was, okay, I can make the designs and people would buy. So at the point when I produced the clothes, the challenge of selling them was a problem. So, you know, it was really, really challenging. And I came to realize the production process, the ups and downs that comes with it, you know, trying to convince people to believe in what you're making. Because for me, I really carved a different niche for myself in the Nigerian fashion space because I brought in something new 
something different. I wasn't making the simple skirt and blouse, the simple dress. No, I did something different, which I call modest clothes, modest outfit. And what I did was, as I mentioned earlier, was to infuse, you know, African fabrics into the Arabian outfit. So it was something different. So that effort trying to convince women that, hey, you don't have to go to Dubai, you don't have to travel to Saudi Arabia, you don't have to go to Qatar for you to get an abaya, you can get it here in Nigeria. Trying to convince people that, yes, this is something you can put your money on, you know, it was a problem. So, you know, the production was a challenge, the selling, the branding. I had no idea how to brand, you know, my, my work to compete with, you know, global uh, standard and stuff like that. It was a huge challenge. Yeah. One other challenge that I, I think I face is um, in terms of business is dealing with rejection. So when you're trying to, yes. to pitch something and then you get this no, yes. it's such a hard yeah. and bitter pill to swallow. I don't know. Do you Have you faced rejection and how, how do you handle that? Yes, I did. Because I told you as when I started, okay, the first production I did was not in Nigeria because um, I felt, okay, Dubai is um, the hub. So I tried traveled i sourced the fabrics what i took with me from nigeria only was the african print something like what i'm wearing now so it's what i took only from nigeria and when i went to dubai i now sourced the original authentic black fabric that has been made for the abaya so i had my designs i got the tailors to you know designs my outfit and when i came back i was convinced that anyone that you know picks this up will be wowed and will be ready to pay the amount so by the time I got back, people would look at it and, wow, these are beautiful. How much? So by the time I quote the prize, it's a different ball game because like, okay, I have to add my transportation cost, the cost of accommodation, the cost of production, so many other factors. So by the time you add it up, it's quite expensive. So people feel, how can I put that amount of money here in, my, in, in, in Nigeria to buy that? You understand? So convincing people to buy it was a challenge, but that was when I realized a mistake. Carving a niche for yourself is very important and understanding how to market what you're selling to the niche market is also something. So like I had to now go back to the drawing board. I had to begin searching for what it takes, you know, how do I reach across? Because I realized my products are not for everybody. It was for a particular, you know, segment of the society. So then how do I reach across to them? How do I convince them that it is worthy of, you know, investing in? So yes, that challenge of, you know, convincing people to buy your products, especially those that are homemade, is really a challenge. But there's also a lot of good work that you're doing in terms of social impact and helping young people and young women in particular in northern Nigeria. And I just want to know, when did you realize that there was a gap when it came to resources for female entrepreneurs? Okay, I realized that in 2012, because as I told you, I was working with the, the largest youth organization in Africa, which is the National Youth Service Corps in Nigeria. So working then, I had the opportunity to handle a, a particular schedule which has to do with, you know, giving um, loans to young people to start businesses. It was called the NYC Foundation. So at that point in time, it was suspended for a brief period of time. And this young um, couple came, a boy and a girl that got married during the service year. And they wanted to access that fund. And it was not available. So I could see, you know, the despair. I could see the, the, the feeling of rejection on their faces and not knowing where to start from. Because they're just starting a young family, fresh from, you know, the university. And there are no resources to start. And I couldn't help. 
and I realized, okay, something needs to be done because one of the major problems facing Africa, whether we like it or not, is the rising youth unemployment. And my country being the largest, you know, the most populated country in Africa, whether we like it or not, it's not only the responsibility of the government, you know, to tackle this issue. We as individuals, you know, need to play our part to see how we can, you know, come in and assist. So at that point in time, I realized, okay, I may not have the money to give them to start something, but how can I guide them to where they can get this funding? I begin to do my own research and I now sat down at the point I said, okay, this is my idea that I have. Why not do I start it as a business? Then from it certain percentage of the profit and now begin to invest you know into you know doing research understanding how you know uh, finances can be raised understanding how to connect young people to you know more trainings understanding how to connect more people you know to uh, opportunities so i started that and by 2013 when i bankrolled my own business with the little i was making i now began to you know register myself for some programs which I benefited from, number one, from all these programs that I was attending, I was learning how to become a better entrepreneur. So my business was more or less a case study for these young people. With that, I kept pushing myself, attending conferences within Nigeria and outside Nigeria, anything that had to do with small businesses, anything that had to do with uh, you know entrepreneurship development, I was attending. So by 2016, I had the opportunity of you know winning the Mandela Washington Fellowship, which is a flagship uh, program of um, former U.S. President Barack Obama. And I got the opportunity to study entrepreneurship at the University of Austin in Texas. So by the time I returned to my country, after three months, I had this, you know, better understanding of how I can give back to my community in terms of community development. So that was how I started this social impact project, which I call the Inspire for Impact Initiative. Actually, I started it in August 2016, which is like an NGO that is focused on, you know, human capital development, um, strengthening small businesses, which we do in a very unique way through, you know, giving them vocational training, mentorship life skill development and you know strengthening giving them business support development so by the time i started i realized many young people in my country particularly women have what it takes to excel all they need you know was a push in the right direction so from the little knowledge that i had from the contacts that i had from the trainings that i've been attending i begin to bring together you know a group of young people group of 50 100 250 and at a point we get to have sponsors where we can organize programs for thousands that get to attend. And we bring in resource persons, you know, to come in and, you know, educate them, enlighten them, show them how to get funding from government, how to get funding from private organizations, you know. And some don't need that funding. What they need is for the training. So how do we connect them to these people that can offer them this training? And interestingly, by the side, I kept doing my own business, which many see as an inspiration, which many see, you know, as a source of, you know, motivation for them to, wow, okay, if her work can achieve this, I can as well do it. Wow, that is very commendable. And so these, um, the program runs as workshops, right? Workshops and also mentorship programs. And, and so, you know, then 2020 rolls in and things completely 
change? What did the pandemic change? It affected virtually the way we do everything because I realized it's no longer business as usual. I had to, you know, you know, go back to the drawing board and re-strategize because the, the usual way of doing things is no longer applicable when you're on a lockdown and you, you don't have access to, you know, to, <laughs> you don't have the privilege of even going out. So like the business had to shut down the workshops. We had to put a stop to them. And then I had to, you know, re-strategize, go back to the drawing board and see, okay, what other options are available for us. With regards to the business side, I would say the business had to shut down for the duration of the lockdown in my country. And there was even, even the online sales, the issue of delivery is a problem. So even when you do it for you to deliver is a problem. So and the only issue, um, the only positive thing was for the workshops. I had the opportunity of, you know, uh, partnering with other organizations that was when I had to go back and also up my, you know, um, technology skills. I had to, you know, understand how to make use of the IT, you know, very well, how to, you know, the Zoom calls and everything. So like we had to go back to doing everything online. So it was really not easy because of the challenges there, you know, irregular power supply, the internet that is not so well at some point it keeps breaking and all that and you also going out to convince people that hey you have to come online people that are used to you know just walking into a space they sit down and they listen to you know a workshop or you give them you know the resources there to use and then they have to sit at home and log in their phones or their laptops and access the resources there so it was really not easy but it also had its own positive sides because we get to you know leverage the technology platform whether we like it or not so it came with really ups and downs but we also I like to look at the positive side of it, the ease of doing things now, which sometimes you wonder if we'll ever let go of all the digital stuff that we're doing now, whether we'll go back <laughs> to life before the pandemic. Yeah, right. What about support for your for your business? Do you do you wish there was more support be it from the government for female entrepreneurs during the pandemic yes definitely i wish there was there was support because when you look at um, many businesses especially women-owned businesses the struggle was real i wish there was you know market available for us you know I wish there was, you know, um, other options that we can, you know, leverage for us to really continue doing business from where we were. But like you had no option than to, you know, be at home and you now start, you know, touching the savings that you had, whether you like it or not. At some point, you know, the business is not running, things are not moving. So that support, you know, was lacking. Do there were some attempts, especially from, let's say, the government in my country to come up with certain incentives. But truth be told, accessing those incentives is an uphill task. So many young women could, many, not even young women, many women doing businesses, you know, couldn't get to access, you know, those incentives that were put in place to, you know, give women some succor, give them, you know, some relief from the difficulties that were faced. I like that you said earlier that, you know, you like to look at the brighter side of things. So when you think about the future, is there a particular thing that you're optimistic about? Yeah, I'm optimistic about, you know, um, when I look at the, like the resilience that, you know, women have, I'm optimistic that things are going to, you know, work out for the better because notwithstanding the challenges, we're still moving, we're still pushing, you know, we're not giving up. So when I look ahead, I look ahead with lots of optimism and hope that, you know, um, lots of women will continue to go out, you know, to push hard, to become better entrepreneurs, to become better business women and 
What interests me is the trickle-down effect that goes down with a woman being an entrepreneur or with a woman being economically empowered. So I look ahead with lots of optimism. And then, you know, unfortunately, like when you start these uh, journeys that are very different, as you said, it was um, unheard of of women going into business. And then you've chosen this industry that is even so different for people. She's gone into fashion. Did you have anybody doubting you and probably whispering to you like, oh, maybe you shouldn't go that route? Of course I did. <laughs> it wasn't easy for me because, okay, when I started fashion, when I started uh, this fashion business and when I chose the sector I wanted to go into, many people doubted me because I remember in 2015, after I told you, I, I started the production in 2013. So by 2014, I was not making sales. So I had to sit down and re-strategize. And I realized that in Nigeria, Lagos is the center of fashion. So irrespective of what you're producing, you have to, if you, if you have to position your business, you have to, you know, position it in the Lagos fashion space. So I remember that time when I, you know, made all the commitments to attend my first, uh, my second fashion show in Lagos. Some of my, you know, friends, some of the uh, people around me were like, what are you going to do in Lagos? Because, okay, I stay in Northern Nigeria, Kaduna to be precise, which is like two hours drive from Abuja. And people were like, you're going to spend this lots of money to travel to Lagos? to go and do a fashion show. Many of the believe that, hey, stay in your house, do your production and sell your goods. You don't have to be walking on a runway. You don't have to be, you know, showcasing um, clothes or models. But I was like, the standard I want to set for my business, I'm looking at creating a global brand because I'm looking at the long-term um, investment that I want to do, what the type of brand that I want to live, I want to create is something that I'm looking forward to, something that will outlive me. And for me to do that, you know, I had these crazy ideas in my head and I feel they're not understanding me. So they're like, okay, good luck. So like I traveled to Lagos and it was a fashion design competition for young entrepreneurs. And I was the only person that came from Northern Nigeria. And you know, Lagos is in the Southwest. So I was the only young person that came from the North. And surprisingly, my designs were so unique. They were so different. And out of 40 designers, I emerged the winner. So by the time I returned back home, I was so happy. I was so excited that, yes, I've proved them wrong. At least they didn't believe me, but I did it. So there was potential, you know, in what, in, in what you're doing. So many people will doubt you, but I feel once you um, make up your mind, once you believe in what you're doing and you push on, definitely with time, with time, those who are doubting me now are beginning to identify when they see, you know, my work out there, they're proud to say that, oh, she's our friend. Oh, I know her. She's an acquaintance. Oh, she's a cousin of mine, you know? So it's really interesting how far the, you know, the trajectory is coming. Yeah, I think that's very powerful. Sometimes I think people project their own fears on, on your yeah, journeys. Right. So you really have to be headstrong. Well, I believe um, first and foremost, I think by the time we normalize women you know being economically empowered women being ha having access to you know to resources women you know owning businesses once we understand the importance of that the trickle down effect that it has the multiplier effect once we begin to understand the impact it has on the community as a whole not starting from the immediate family of that particular woman you know the effect it has on the society as a whole once we begin to have that, you know, it goes a long way in addressing this issue of, you know, uh, women having lesser advantages when it comes to, you know, doing the things that they do. And at the same time, you know, government incentives that are, you know, being 
brought out. I think to a large extent, women find it difficult to access such uh, incentives or resources, I would say. For example, let me give you an example. There are loans that are being, you know, given out. At times, women face challenges accessing them due to maybe, let's say, sexual harassment, due to maybe, okay, you having to give something, something in return for you to be able, or like maybe if you're a male, you'll be able to just walk in, do the needful, fill in the papers and everything, and you get it done. So many men, I would say particularly in my region, have this belief that allowing their women get them exposed, you understand? But once these things are regularized, once they have easy access, once it's, for example, let's say possible for a woman to sit in the comfort of her home and fill a form and submit the required papers without her even being present and she has the opportunity of accessing such resources, it, you know, limits that thinking of, you know, her being exposed and limiting her, you know, options of having that opportunity. So there's so many ways in which the society the government and all relevant stakeholders can come in to see that, you know, women don't have or don't face the challenges they are facing with regards to, you know, being economically empowered. Um, as much as possible, policies, you know, when being made, women should be looked at as critical stakeholders when these policies are being formulated. No doubt women are over, you know, 50% of the population in most countries. So when you look at these women as being critical stakeholders, they have a critical role to play from the ideation stage of a policy. Women should be brought to the, you know, to the drawing table. Women should be part of the policy formulation because you can't just sit and assume and make policies based on assumption of this is what the women would need. No, bring them on board, engage them from the local community up to the national level. For example, in my country with over, you know, 500 ethnic tribes, you can't assume that what works for a woman in northern Nigeria works for a woman in southwest Nigeria. That solution cannot be possible. So, so many things need, need, needs to be factored when you're formulating policies for, for women. Let women be part of that drawing board. Because when you look at it, you find out that so much is being invested, you know, in policies and programs, alleviating, you know, the sufferings of women, eradicating poverty. But over time, when you look at the amount that is being sinked into these projects, it's not yielding the desired result. Definitely, there's a problem. There's a disconnect somewhere. Let me give you an example. In my country, there's this community that is having problem of water, you know. They don't have, you know, um, adequate supply of water. And every time they keep pumping boreholes into that community because the place they access water is far, many kilometers, and the children have to trek. They miss school because they want to, you know, go and get water for the family to use. And, you know, all these organizations, they keep coming in to come in and sink boreholes. And after a month or two, the source of water no longer works. But when an organization decided to dig deep and find out the solution. What they found out was shocking. They realized because of the way of life of the people, the buildings they have is not conducive to accommodate the parents, both the father and the mother and the children. They don't have multiple rooms in the, in, in, in the household. So it is when they send these children to go and fetch water, that is when the husband and the wife have an opportunity to go intimate. You understand? So... Sinking a borehole in that community is going to limit the time the husband and the wife have to meet, you understand? So, like, they have to send the children to go far to fetch water so that they can have time for each other. So, you see, clearly, pumping a borehole is not the solution. 
But because it is assumed that, okay, once we sink a borehole, it gives the solution. But when you bring in women, when you sit down and address critically the issues affecting, you find out that, no, it's not a borehole they need. They need extra rooms in the house. True. And then you have more impactful solutions after that. In closing, I just want to know, Hawa, who are your female heroes? I have quite a few. Well, number one is my mom. She's an entrepreneur herself. So when I look back to her own journey, I really learned a lot from it because I've learned a lot of perseverance from her. I've learned, um, I've learned a lot of, you know, humility from her. I've learned a lot from her. Then um, another hero I have is my mentor. She works at the Enterprise Development Center, Neka Okikiaro. She's been inspirational and she has really guided me so far um, the journey I'm coming. Then also one of my mentors, again, she works with the National Youth Service Corps. Uh, Mrs. Tosin Ekupolati, she's really doing great and she has been a great support for me. Then also Hadja Amina of the UN is also someone I look up to. She truly inspires me and seeing her do what she does, I believe it's possible when given the platform for us to, you know, unleash our full potential and, you know, impact communities because nobody saw her, you know, coming up, you know, to be the um, Assistant Secretary General at the UN. So it's really something I look up to. Random convos on Legally Clueless. Visit gatesfoundation.org forward slash ideas to be part of the Generation Equality Convos. Get involved and watch inspiring stories by women from across the globe. Gates Foundation, act for equal. I really hope you enjoyed that convo between Howa and myself. I know I really left it feeling quite inspired just knowing that, okay, there's another woman especially in a creative-based business who navigated challenges that I'm seeing in my journey currently. And she made it to the other side. So it's like, okay, buckle up Adele, you can do this, you know? (laughs) I also really appreciate that we talked about rejection, dealing with that on a business level, and also the naysayers who project their fears onto you. I like how she really broke down the importance of centering women really in conversations around business and especially now with the pandemic everybody is talking about okay economic recovery economic recovery women really have to be included when you're having these conversations obviously this is something that i've always been very passionate about but i'd love you to also check out the data around it and also not only my feature but how was feature and there's Nadia who is a South African woman. She also shared her story. Head over to gatesfoundation.org forward slash ideas. I've put a link to this in the show notes. Watch our features because I, I really do believe stories are powerful in helping people understand each other. And then also read the data so you just understand just how grave an issue this is, right? And of course, as you are checking that out, do remember Remember the good news just announced the Legally Clueless Tour 2021 is happening in August. We're flagging off in Nairobi, then going to Nakuru, Kisumu and Mombasa. So 
if you live in any of those places and you want to record your story when we're in your city, just fill out the storyteller application form. A link to it is in the show notes. The links are also in the Legally Clueless Instagram bio, in my bio, on my Instagram page, so that we can make it happen, you know, when we come to your cities. And I'm I'm just so excited about that. And I will keep updating you on the tour progress the closer we get to August. I may have to end this episode right here because of <sighs> my very noisy neighbor's kids. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I feel like these kids make me just respect parents more. Because like, you guys are just in noise. (laughs) Surrounded by noise all the time. Oh my goodness. But yeah, so they are, I asked them to give me some time before they start their football-like game. I say football-like because it is not following any football rules. And they're about to start. So I'll end this episode here. Thank you so much for listening to the very end. And remember to join our online tribe. That's at Legally Clueless Podcast on Instagram. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.